0: if I said yes or if I said I was going to do something I delivered on it so it became well you, know, you can trust it diamond geezer it gets it done because we've moved so much into online and we're so one-to-one communication is so frowned upon that those skills have been locked I, I, I'm sure there was probably a bit of a sneaking grin coming across my face that went I'm a diamond dealer."
1: <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Smith is a diamond geezer no seriously he is a diamond geezer. He traded in diamonds. When I saw Jeff speak at an event, I just needed to have him on this podcast. When you hear Jeff's story, you will be on the edge of your seat. Like, How do you approach losing a million pounds worth of other people's money? Especially when those people really want their money back and they will go to quite extreme lengths to get that money back. How do you negotiate with these sort of people? And when you're at the top of the game and you're in the security industry, an industry which has some pretty tough people in it, and all that is going on around you, how do you navigate your way through that? Jeff is a diamond geezer, and you're going to want to listen to this story to the very end and hear how he went to the top of his game in the security industry, moved and started dealing with importing diamonds from other countries, and then recovering from losing a million pounds worth of other people's money. I'm Richard Osborne, this is Drive, the small business podcast from UKBF. Hiya Jeff. good to see
0: you. Good to be here Richard. Uh,
1: fant- uh, I, when I, I, I've seen you speak and when uh, we saw you um, on stage at the Business networking show, and you was talking about your journey. Uh, my colleague Jacob was sat next to me, um, and his face was just like <gasps> like <laughs> totally transfixed. And I remember sitting there thinking at the time, like, "We need to speak to this guy. We really need to share this guy's story on this podcast. So having you here absolutely fantastic and i'm really looking forward to sort of hearing that story and really getting sort of like into the detail of it um so really um like how do you start how do you grow up
0: (laughs) well yeah thanks for having me on the show first of all richard it's it's great to come and, and actually have a chat with you guys and and to, to further the experiences that you guys had at TVNS, which was a, a great platform to get the the story out on, um, yeah, my my background story is probably not as exciting as where things ended up. So, um, you know, I grew up in in West London, um, you know, normal family life. So, uh, you know, loving parents, one brother, um, no prison visits to visit the family at the weekend. So It was all very normal, and very much. Uh, Middle class suburbia, um, and my journey into to being an entrepreneur in the first place sort of started at a, a pretty early age, um, where I went out and and developed a, a car cleaning business with uh, a friend of mine from school, um, and and that was my journey into entrepreneurialism. That was uh, where it all stemmed from. Uh, you know, I'd seen uh, I'd seen Wall Street on the TV. <laughs> Um, I'd seen uh, Gordon Gecko doing his thing with his braces and his stripy shirts and uh, and that was where I wanted to go, you know, the, the idea of the money, the power um, was quite intoxicating for a 10, 11, 12 year old and uh, I decided at that point I wanted to, to get out and, and, and follow that route for myself.
1: So I think that's quite a uh, valuable uh, trait to have though and something which quite often when you're chatting to people who have gone on and run their own businesses is they've had that it's it doesn't just suddenly then happen uh from their through their childhood their younger years they they want to make their own money they want to go and do their own thing so you just mentioned sort of like 10 11 12 so is that the age group where literally you and a mate bucket and sponge going on knocking on doors Putting leaflets together through people's absolutely uh, yeah, yeah. It,
0: it was um we we used a really frowned upon sales technique which is called knock on people's doors and ask you know now uh. you're supposed to do a, <laughs> a TikTok dance and uh send an email uh, and someone will moan about you on linkedin for contacting them and daring to talk about your business um, but no we very much decided that we would uh, we would go out bang on doors and and go and see what we could get because we we wanted to go and earn money, we wanted to go and do our own thing. Um, I would also add to that, I need to have a a bit of a nod to my dad in that one because I didn't own car cleaning stuff at that time so I had to steal it from his garage. Um, So he sponsored a lot of that early endeavour. He was an early investor. He was, yeah, yeah, (laughs) I've I've gone back to him many times since for different projects. He seems to have learnt one of my lessons which is knowing when to say no. And so yeah, we, we, we evolved from the early days of out on a push bike Saturday morning and um, going around sort of the, the more affluent areas where we were to get clients by knocking on doors. And, and that was what we did.
1: And from there, because I said during that time you was in school, uh, what was what did you want to be? What was your career aspiration? What industry do you want to get into?
0: Um, originally, I wanted to be a stockbroker. Um, so it really was it Wall Street, was, yeah. It really was Wall Street, yeah, and, I, and I, remember, uh, I remember vividly having a conversation with my form tutor at school, um, and we were talking about careers, and uh, he said to me, he said, what do you want to do? I said, well, I want to be a stockbroker, and he sort of laughed, it's more like road digger, that would be more, more your level. Um, And I was like, okay, yeah, I'll just I'll store that one for when I see you in a few years time. So uh, yeah, he was actually quite inspirational in furthering my entrepreneurial wants because it was a little bit of a I can I can prove you wrong and I will. (laughs) So it's interesting the people you meet on the journey, and the influences they can have even when they're trying to be a little bit negative, you know, you you can you can turn that to fuel where you want to go.
1: That is interesting. There, so um, because when you think about a career advisor, um, <clears throat> you go into your, you know, your school, your college. Um, we're a similar age, so uh, our uh, careers advice is probably not too dissimilar. You go into your, for me, it's head of year's office sit downs. They say we want to be all right. They chuck you a couple of leaflets or something, and that's it. You're, do- you're done in like two minutes. Imagine yours wasn't too dissimilar from that, but this is the person that's meant to point you in the right direction of what you want your career to be. Mm. Um, knowing where this journey's going and thinking about how that person just dismissed what you wanted to be at that point, that you're your, the careers advisor at your school, how things may have been different if they had actually supported what your aspiration, your dream of wanting to be a stockbroker would have been then.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean. I think it's very easy to be um, you know, dismissive. And you know, I, I I get at the time, you know, we, we were all at school, he's got thirty of us sort of sat in his room, you know, half of the people are throwing paper airplanes people you're looking out the window. Um and I I guess it's quite easy to become dismissive when you've just got a lot of people coming at you um with things that you, you think are, are, are unachievable. Um and I and I think that is a problem with, with some of our systems is that people will just you off for an easy life. So it's much easier rather than actually taking somebody and going, right, let's let's run with that. Let's see how I can help you. Let's see where I can go. Uh, it's much easier just to go, well, you'll find some magazines over there. Just go and take a few and, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll catch up in six months time when you filled your forms in. And, and that, that seemed to be, you know, back, back in, in certainly my experience of, of schools and careers, that was pretty much what we did. We had a careers library which was one room with various different brochures on join the army, be a, an architect, you know, join the nursing profession. Um, not an awful lot in between really. Um, and that was, that was your guidance. That was what you, you had to deal with. So there certainly wasn't a lot. If you were you wanted to go and aspire to be something in business, something a bit different, get into trading, something a bit entrepreneurial, that support network, as far as I was concerned, was not there and not available.
1: No. so they obviously they dismissed you, and you just said to yourself there that that sort of fueled you sort of like right, I'm gonna show them um things don't happen overnight though so what um you got through there left what was your what was your first job what what was your first step
0: well i i I did various different things when i was was working through so obviously my my early stages was out on the saturday and and, and washing the cars and everything else. Um, and, you know, I learned a lot from that, actually, I learned a lot of um, consistency, you know, actually turning up, getting the stuff, being reliable, coming back time after time. And that's where my early sort of entrepreneurial lessons were formed, really, is where I, where I learned, um, and where I had my first successful exit as well, having <laughs> so sold out the, the the round for some girly mags and a few hundred quid to one of the sixth formers. Um, so, yeah, it's a successful exit, I'm going to take it. So, <laughs> Um, and then after that, I I, I went on. Obviously, I was, was growing. So, just going to
1: pause you there. So, you sold your first business.
0: I did. Yeah. yeah I sold. sold my so, let's let's talk
1: about that negotiation.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it was quite an interesting one. Uh, uh, I won't uh, I won't name names. I'll call Trevor Trevor because his name was Trevor, um, and he was a, a sick former at our school. And obviously, you yeah, know, I was being one of the bigger guys at our schools. By this time, I was already involved in. in weight chaining, rugby and various different martial arts and stuff. So the older kids in the school knew who I was. Um, and they also knew some of the stuff that we did because you know we were we generally had had some money in our pocket, could do a few bits and pieces. One of the guys came and expressed a bit of an interest, you know, what do you do? How do you do it? Um, I you know, told him what we were doing and, and you know the fact that we had a, a round there. Um, and he was in a position where he was doing his a levels um you know his parents were on his back to get a job um he didn't want to go and work in the tesco's coffee shop which was the most lucrative you know next best thing for us all at that stage um and he asked if he could uh, if he could get involved um but by this time you know I'd become a bit disillusioned with with going out in every saturday and trying to do the stuff and my my vision of being an entrepreneur is, you know, and, and my association with the meaning of it is if you've got a, a business that you've set up, is does the money still turn up even if you don't? Because yeah. if it doesn't, you've bought a job. So, yeah. and, and at that point, I knew I'd bought a job, so I didn't want to do it anymore. Um, so we had a, a chat in the, the sixth form common room. And, uh, and and we agreed terms, and it was a, a cash deal <laughs> with uh, to be paid immediately, and then clients transferred across, and then he, he chucked in a couple of sweeteners for us as well, with <laughs> some uh, some uh, artistic <laughs> magazines, um, and that was that was the first deal, and that was how it was yeah. done. It was as easy as that, and then he he took it over, and I think he did continue to run it for a few years. So
1: See, uh, we're making light of it and joking, but I do find it. Um, fascinating to listen to that as an individual, you've, um, you had that mindset whilst you're still at like sixth form, high school, that sort of age. uh, Because if I think back to my 20s, I remember a director who's the ops director of a company I used to work for. And just generally in part of his mentoring coaching, as I was like the young lad coming up there, he turned around to me and said, a, a, a business owner, entrepreneur never really makes their money until they sell their business. That was just his approach. And I learned that later on, but you're already thinking in that sort of mindset uh, beyond the jest that we're having of like what it was, it's still that very mindset, as you just said, um, does the money come in even if it's, even if you're off sick or unable to work? which uh, I think just a fascinating insight into where your mind already was at that stage.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I was always going to be going out to earn my own money. Um, but in as much as the, the, whole, the whole of that journey encouraged me to be working hard and going out and putting the hours in to get the rewards, Um, And and my whole life growing up, my lead from my parents was, you know, if you work hard, you can get what you want, it takes time, um, but you'll get there. Um, My whole issue, the whole word I didn't like was time. I didn't like being told it's going to take years for you to get to where you want to go. Because I think that there is a way you can get to where you want to go. It's just how you join up the steps. Um, and I was very much of, of, of that mindset. And I never saw Gordon Gecko waiting for his money. He always went <laughs> and got it. Um, and that's what drove me as, as I was putting these things together. So when I was starting the business, I was always mindful of where it was going to end up. You know, if, if I step into something, I like to know how I'm going to step out of it. Um, and that helped me immensely in later <laughs> years of knowing which door to get out
1: of. So, <laughs> so well, um, so, um, jesting again, but obviously, you, you know, you sold your first business, um, with a, um, cash deal, <laughs> in cash that deal, sense, yeah. the, um, so, um, you finished high school, you went into what summer I is say proper jobs or that sort of thing. Um, the, what was your sector at that point you know what was your trade at that point
0: so when i when i left um college after a levels i went into something that really i was i never intended to i I was actually uh being recruited to join the police and i had passed all of the qualifications all of the entry requirements i'd had the the interviews um, and i had a start date and i was due to be starting with them Um, and then you so at that point, I was not too bothered about going to uni, wasn't really feeling it. You know, I was going off into the real world. I was going to go and do something. And then something came out of left field that derailed the um, the police application. And I had to go get a proper job. Right. <laughs> so so uh, then I, I found myself out in the world thinking, well, what am I going to do? Um, and I became, I got involved in the insurance industry and I was the man at the pole. So for... Anybody under the age of 40 who's got no idea what that is, probably ask your parents. But um, I used to basically do knocking on doors well, in, in, as, in as much as going around to people's houses and selling them home insurance and car insurance yeah. in their houses. And that, that was how I then got involved in financial services.
1: Can I remember that? Literally, people coming along, knocking on your doors. It's... You alluded to it earlier, so it's really frowned upon. But that that is how business was done domestically um, during that time. It was going through knocking on doors, and it was a tough old gig. Whether you're selling a vacuum hoover or insurance, or uh, was it the pools, the uh, for, yeah, yeah Pools <clears throat> coupons, pool yeah. coupons that it was. But it's um, it's a good confidence builder.
0: I think you learn a lot. You learn how to talk to people, um, yeah. and and that's the thing. You, know, you you see massive investment from people now trying to deliver sales training uh, in their companies um, for their online um, services and you know their TikTok dances and everything else. But what they lose is the ability for their staff and the people involved in their business to actually communicate one to one in a persuasive manner. They lose that because we've moved so much into online and we're so one-to-one communication is so frowned upon that yeah. those skills have been lost which is why now those companies are having to reinvest in getting people to come back in and educate their staff how to actually do it whereas we just learned it on the street yeah. <laughs> we, we learned, and you, you learn, learn a lot of
1: resilience it. as well because for every 20 doors you may knock on you're lucky if you get one to turn around and go off. Oh, just thinking about my insurance.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not the first thing that comes up when you're you're trying to get the kids' tea ready, and <laughs> someone's knocking on the door to talk about your house insurance. But that was how we did it. You know, we we had you know ambitious targets, and big businesses were built off the back of that. You know, some yeah. some huge household names. You know, built their their legacy on knocking on people's doors.
1: Yeah. So so how did that um, career develop?
0: Uh, Interestingly, so I I, I stayed in the insurance for uh, a number of years and I got involved in corporate marketing within that. Um, It was around the advent of stakeholder pensions when they came out for the the first time, Uh, wonders that they were. Um, And I was involved in selling those to businesses. Um, And part of that was working, doing stage presentations to companies for all of their employees and fielding questions from them and then getting them to sign up to pension schemes en masse, um, which was, uh, it was a great experience. Yeah. And, and again, massive on, on the confidence building and the communication skills when you're, you're stood in front of a, a building firm of you know, four or 500 guys who have been pulled in off site to sit and listen to you, none of whom wanna be there because you're talking <laughs> about taking some of their pay away um, and putting it into something they can have in 30 years time um so it was a, a real steep learning curve it was it was a really good time
1: yeah, so i'm picturing this uh, um person in my mind now who's um a bit of a go getter um uh, wanting to make their own money uh from a very early age take control of their destiny in that sense the um selling insurance a very um sort of very suit and sort of formal um, type of, uh, industry sector going a bit, you know, again, door knocking, very you know, well presented, good communicator, um, sounding like very, you know, sort of sensible, um, person, uh, to be sort of, you know, to have within your organization, be working with, uh, moving into the corporate world, mm-hmm. um, and say, um, say selling pensions, a very sensible, very formal, um, legal kind of um industry really um for the um, so you're in that role you're selling um pensions um so what sort of happened next So if, uh, you had a bit of a career change well yeah eventually?
0: absolutely That's, uh, well running <coughs> alongside all of these things in the background as i said earlier i've been you know, when i was at school and at college i was very much into the the gym and the weight training and the martial arts and the rugby mm-hmm. and everything else Um, And part of that journey had seen me sort of running a gym in my spare time Um, and particularly when you're in the gym during the daytime uh, it tends to be a lot of guys who work in the security industry Um, and and, they're they're in there sort of 10 o'clock in the morning when everyone else is is already at work because they've they've been up late and they go in and they spend the day there training and eating and swapping tips on what steroids to use and, and this sort of thing. Um, And obviously that became part of my world. And and because I was there and I was connected to these people, it wasn't too long before one of them came along and said, listen, you know, bit of a bigger guy, look all right in a jacket. We've got some work on, on Saturday. We are a bit short. Can you come and help us out? Um, And that was my, my first foray into the security world Um, and was working in, in pubs and nightclubs. Um, and eventually going on to some executive protection and various different bits and pieces before I developed my own security business in in years to come. Um, So yeah, I was running that alongside my sensible day job.
1: (laughs) So um, you're literally um, such different kind of roles when you say you're literally alongside. Uh, So at that point, whilst you're selling insurance and selling pensions, Uh, you're uh, often dressed for, um, on door, um, at nights, uh, bouncer door security, uh, for presumably nightclubs, casinos, anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. it's um, on a serious level, I imagine the communication skills you developed and learned throughout your day job enabled you to Diffuse situations and have conversations with people without having to resort to physical uh, restraint.
0: Well, I, I, I can't say that it was always like that. No. But... <laughs> but I did manage to talk my way out of more problems than I had to yeah. physically fight my way out of, of, which, you know, in that industry, it's inevitable that there, there's going to be a few of those altercations as well. But again, within that whole process, you know, I was. I was running this job very much alongside my other stuff and 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 it was all about really for me it was about putting money in the bank to be able to do other things at that at that time because I wasn't really overly enamored with with having the day job that I had didn't really know what I wanted to do the you know the security was good it was good fun I was meeting interesting people I was earning money while most people were spending it Um, But I was back to having to have that work ethic again because I was working five days a week with my insurance job. Sometimes I was working six nights a week um, and occasionally I was doing other bits and pieces at the weekends as well. So it became, I became almost a workaholic at that point because I was running two and three jobs at the same time. Um, But a bit aimlessly with not really knowing exactly where I wanted to end up at that point.
1: So when did the light switch go that inspired you to, uh, and give you that direction? That, when did you get that focus?
0: Well, it, it was a, a, a couple of years into it when I was I was working for a bank by this time. I'd moved across to work for one of the, the high street banks doing wealth management. Um, and I had a, a bit of a disagreement with one of the area managers of that bank um, who was suggesting that I should be pushing products harder to people that I thought shouldn't be having them pushed on them. Um, and so we we had a bit of a disagreement and, and he left my office promptly through the door horizontally. Um, and um, at that point, uh, you know, I thought I'd made my point and, and, and that would be the end of it, but he made his point quite succinctly in a letter on the Monday morning, which said, go and never darken our doors again. So fair to say that he won that encounter. <laughs> and so now I, I, was, I was jobless. So now I, I was sitting there, obviously I'd still had my, my security work, which I'd done all of the time. Um, and uh, so I, I was sitting there now on my sort of impromptu vacation and thinking, you know, what do I want to do? And again, I've always had that thing. I want to work for myself. I want to do my own thing. I want to earn my own money. Um, and now I'm thinking, we go with what we know, you know, and what we knew at that point was security. And I knew it well because I've been doing it for a long time and I had a lot of good contacts in there. Um, But what I was gonna have to do now was gonna be slightly different because if I wanted to do this as as an entrepreneur and I wanted to do this as my business, I was now gonna have to start going head to head with people that had been allies of mine in the first place. Um, And that could be quite tricky
1: right presumably because of the very nature of the industry it is um they people don't normally deal through cease and desist letters or something along those lines
0: <laughs> no no it, it it was one of those things when i i moved across to do it um and i i decided that i was going to go my my own way and i was going to set up my own security business and start taking contracts but i had to be a bit mindful about how i would want to do it because I liken the big companies in the security industry to, to, to crocodiles, really. If you put your head in their mouth, it's going to get bitten off. Um, so I had to come up with a way that I could not get my head bitten off um, because, you know, you start going after people's contracts, you're likely to get, uh, you know, three or four guys turn up around your house at three o'clock in the morning with balaclavas on. And it's pretty fair to say they're not there to invite you to a ski trip. So, so that's that's not going to happen. So I had to try and find a way that I could continue to work, continue to be allied with with these companies. Um, and so I, I sort of decided, and again using the, the crocodile analogy, you know everything that sticks its head in the mouth of the crocodile gets it bitten off, apart from the little bird that flips in and cleans its teeth. So I decided to come up with uh, a methodology that would allow me to do exactly that for the bigger companies. By taking on the worst places that they didn't really want, or the places that were difficult to staff, or the places where they were having issues that was just taking their eye off the ball, or not really financially worth their while because they were so big, but could be worth my while as a as a smaller operator, Um, and that was how I set out. That was my USP. That was that was you know I decided I would go in under the radar um, in a supportive function. Um, and be you know non-threatening to those guys so I wasn't directly challenging them head to head but more working aligned with them so trying to work a bit smart as opposed to just going straight into a confrontation situation which I would definitely have lost at that time
1: and I'm presuming that worked well and put you in good stead
0: yeah, it worked well for for a good period of time, and um, you know, it, it was fair to say that we had a good relationship with the companies that we worked for. Uh, the guys that I employed were fantastic, you know, really good guys. The fact that we took on places that were slightly harder to deal with uh, or a bit problematic meant we were able to charge a bit more money for doing that, which meant I could pay better rates. Um, so I was able to attract the guys that, that wanted to work for more money. Um, and I was able to go and, and yeah, the security industry that time was about having the biggest, scariest people available, that, that, that would get the job done for you. So I was able to recruit those kind of guys because I was able to pay more money. So yeah. it was a, a, a good self fulfilling circle, really, I was able to charge more, therefore I had better guys, therefore I got more work. Okay.
1: And then your business grew and grew during that time. Um, and you went into private security.
0: Yeah, we did lots of different bits of private security. Obviously we were still servicing the the pubs and the nightclubs. We started doing some executive protection stuff. We did, um, private weddings for people. Um, we did some, some interesting weddings that, that, that where there had been you know, estranged spouses from previous relationships trying to turn up and having to secure the sites to stop people trying to gate crash the weddings, which was, was interesting. Uh, one of the best uh, most interesting jobs we did was a, a diamond exhibition um, and you know, that may, may have, have prompted me to think about <laughs> things further down the track but we, we looked after uh, a jewellers that was having a big diamond exhibition for their clients and we did the private security for that so some interesting jobs came out of it over the time we were in there
1: um, and the thing with um, private uh, security or that that sort of sector is you get to meet some really interesting characters yeah
0: I, I think it's fair to say that over time i met quite a lot of uh of interesting characters um some more interesting than others and um you know, some of the people that i met on that journey um who i'm not going to mention on your podcast <laughs> <laughs> um you know may it may have sort of shaped the way that some of the the outcomes of, of my my business journey at that stage went um and uh you know There've been various sort of films, and yeah, I was talking to a, to a guy the other day who, who was listening to my story, and he was, well, you know, if Guy Ritchie did business, <laughs> he'd be, be talking about your stuff, and uh, and that was kind of how it w- evolved. Was you know that that sort of world um I was in contact with, so I, I, I began to get pulled into to circles of um, what we would loosely refer to as business people. Um, who thought it was quite useful to have you know a, a young cocky guy with a you know fair, fairly robust private army at his disposal <laughs> um, wrapped around them. So uh, I, I've met some very interesting people so during that time.
1: What what was that lifestyle like at that time?
0: Uh, well, at that time it it it, it became really good. Um, But the problem is you you start believing your own hype. So, so I was, you know, I was young, was, it was a lot of cash involved in the business. We had, you know, a a big group of people around us who, you know, were looking out for my interests wherever. And, uh, it became nightclubs, VIP parties, exotic weekends away, you know, champagne bottles with sparklers on and the parties behind the private curtains everywhere. Um, And it became a bit of a social world. Um, And the problem being that once you get into that, it's very easy to to start getting the taste for that. And it starts to to run ahead of you. Um, And I was doing that all the time. Um, And there was a a couple of times where we were going out partying or involved on nights out. And one of the bars that uh, we used to look after, I used to, to get on very well with the guys who ran it. Um, so, we'd been drinking in the bar that night. We'd had a, a lock in there, some people had stayed, then we'd gone to a club afterwards. Um, and the following week, I went in to pick up the wages for the security that worked at that bar because they were my guys as well. Um, and we sat down, and he said, Oh, so we need to uh, sort out the money from last week. I said, Oh, yeah, that'd be great. He said, We need to talk about the bar tab as well. I said, uh, Yeah, I said, Well, let's just sort out what the wages are and then we'll we'll sort out the difference between us. And he said, oh, he said I'm glad you, you, you said that. Said, I thought that would probably be the best way of doing it. Um, so at this point, I, the penny hasn't dropped. So I'm expecting him to give me some money and I'm expecting him to, to knock some off. Um, and he just gave me a bill for three and a half grand. <laughs> so, so we'd gone out for the weekend, gone out on the night, wasted the entire week's wages for the staff that had been working there and now owed him money for being there as well. Um, and it was at that point, really, for me, the sort of the penny drop that at some point social and business has got to separate, and you cannot have the two together because it doesn't work um and that was a, quite an expensive lesson
1: so when so when you're living this lifestyle so i i'm I really am like picturing like a movie scene like Guy Ritchie almost like in my in my head here of glamour glitz. <clears throat> no fifties flying everywhere in these sort of private bars sort of thing with with heavies around you know like you can't speak to him sort of thing going on and like just just like cash flowing out pockets and sort of thing (laughs) and uh mixing with some sort of high profile people that you might see in the media or not sort of thing
0: yeah it was very much like that it was very much like that and you know, unfortunately, you you soon realise when you're trying to live that lifestyle that you do need to have an abundant amount of fifties that are going to fly out of your pocket, <laughs> um, and that becomes difficult to keep up with. Um, and you are then moving in circles where there are you know VIPs or celebrities around it, um, and 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 you learn very quickly on that circle when you're trying to keep up with them that most of the stuff they get's complimentary. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And yours isn't. No. But uh, yeah, so it is very much like that. And it it, it becomes a different world. And what happens when you you get into that world is your mindset changes. And you start to believe things are normal and that's your normal life, when actually it's a long way divorced from what normal life is really like. Um, And so it, it very much the people that you're putting around you and the things that you do and the things you start accepting as being normal um yeah your your perspective really gets skewed
1: so what so when you're living in that lifestyle uh you as you say you believed your own hype at that sort of time and uh, what was going on like imagine it being very intoxicating mm-hmm. in itself anyway you've just the penny's just dropped at a point where you've just gone to expecting to pick up money and actually being given a bill because to maintain that lifestyle I don't know whether I'm reading a point in time here, uh, but what was the journey, or how did the, how did it happen that you come to, I'm going to use diversify your business.
0: <laughs> well, what happened uh, you know during this diversification process um, was. I, I got a phone call one day out of the blue um, from a guy, I knew who the guy was and uh, and again no names, uh, so listen, you've been on, on my radar for a little while, like to talk to you about a bit of business, I think will be a, a good fit for you, good fit for us, I um, need you to come down to, to have a meeting tomorrow, um, 2 o'clock, um, get yourself there. Um, and. Uh, It wasn't a case of he waited for me to say yes. By the time he'd said get yourself there, the phone had already gone down. I was like, okay. So, and this was
1: somebody that that they're not asking.
0: Yeah, this was this. You know, there there are certain people and certain industries, and and, and particularly connected around what we were doing, where sometimes it's better just to to go okay. You know, I what what I had I had begun to realize is that you know despite the fact that I had a you know. i describe as a few big units around me who were, were quite handy when, when push comes to shove. Um, you know, that old adage of there's always somebody bigger around the corner, I was already sort of thinking of myself as a, as a big fish, but what I didn't realise was at that point I hadn't really got out of the spawning pond, let alone <laughs> into the pond, um, and, and there were some pretty big fish in the, in the, the dark depths of that pond um that would uh, would have been seriously detrimental to a small fish <laughs> like, like me and um, so it was one of those phone calls it was like this is a meeting you're going to be there you're not going to say no see you at two o'clock and uh and, and that was set up and that that was the uh that was the start of my journey on a path that would uh, that would dictate the next next period of my life
1: um so how'd that meeting go
0: well I I I turned up in uh, in what I later described as, as as the diamond trading capital of the world which was Bracknell and um, and I walked into a pub just down in in the town center and and two or three guys um came in to talk to me about what this business proposition was um and the business proposition was basically I've got somebody um who can uh, get us diamond purchasing licenses in Sierra Leone and we can set up a company down there where we'll be able to legally buy rough diamonds um, and we can bring them into England and we can sell them in in London um, and we can make vast swathes of cash. And in order to do that, uh, we want to use your money. We want to use your security. We want to use your people. Um, and after you've finished paying for it all, you can give us 50% of whatever you make. And I thought, that sounds like a great deal. <laughs> I must get involved with that. Um, and, uh, so, we just, yeah.
1: Should we just run through the economics of that for a moment? Yeah, exactly,
0: yeah so, exactly. So you're going to take all the risk. And when it all goes wrong, it's going to be all your fault. But you're going to pay us half anyway. And so that, that was the, the economics of the deal.
1: Just to work out whether there is any part of that that's in your favour. Presumably 50% of the profits or
0: 50%. So you do get all your costs covered. Costs would, yeah, we have costs <coughs> covered, but you've got to front it in the first place. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, and and then you're going to take, so yeah, you know, done properly, it could be. But again, you know, to, to, to go back and quote films, you know, diamonds, what, what do I know about diamonds? You know, I don't know anything <laughs> about diamonds. I am insecurity it's, you know, until... Two nights ago, I was making my living punching people in the head. Now I'm here talking about how I'm going to ship diamonds around the world and and, and set it up as a as a as a business entity that's going to be doing business in England with diamonds from Africa. Um, yeah, you know, how one day can flip everything you do on its head. Um, it, it, it's quite surreal.
1: Um, just to cross one part off here, the this was a legitimate business transaction Correct. on the paper yep. trail literally so yep. they've got the license um well i'd have, to pay, <clears throat> oh, have to pay for the
0: license you'd have to buy the license so, which, the
1: so there is a license a paper trail you go out there um yep. the you buy rough cut or uncut diamonds Correct. Yep. ship them back to the uk what in suitcases through a... uh,
0: they just just carried on and then you had to declare them at the airport when you came back um, right. and then you pay your duties, and then you know, the VAT okay. and whatever uh, customs, and then you, you you whiz them off up into into hat and garden as as was to to sell the stuff on. Okay. So yeah, all, all all legitimate, but very expensive, and as we were to later find out, incredibly risky.
1: Okay. Um, so presumably you, you <laughs> thought that was a cracking deal and got involved. <laughs>
0: Well, I'd sort of made a reputation during my time on the security of of being, you know, a man of my word, and that was actually where the, uh, the the Diamond Geezer moniker that I use for the the speaking um, came around. Not actually because of my involvement in diamonds; it was because if I said yes or if I said I was going to do something, I delivered on it. So it became, well, you, know, you can trust him, Diamond Geezer. it gets it done. So that that was where it evolved from, um, and so. I, I sat there for a minute um, and I sort of evaluated you know, what, what had just been put in front of me and, and part of my nature, and it always has been, is I am an inherent risk taker, um, you know, I, I seem to quantify risk in, in different ways to other people um, and so all of a sudden I'd, 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 I'm sure there was probably a bit of a sneaking grin coming across my face that went, I'm a diamond dealer. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so i went okay let's do it um and that was that and that that turned out to be one of the most expensive sentences i ever said
1: right so uh, so how the first you know you that deal up um deal went well
0: yeah so after that i went off and did some homework because you you, you need to know what you're jumping into and i i didn't have a clue you know, i've i've heard all of the things and all of the the you know the big uh business business brains like Branson saying yes and then figure out what you're going to do and um, so I was in to figure out what we were going to do so I had to go off do some research find some people you know try and, and get some clarity on what would happen when you turn up at Heathrow Airport with a load of diamonds what actually is going to happen at that point you know where does it go from there you know does somebody turn up with some silver bracelets to pop <laughs> you, you know what 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 happens? so so I did some research And I basically had to go back to, again, I always go, go with what you know. Security was what I knew. Um, So at that point, I think, right, I've got to take risk with money, risk with product, protect the money, protect the product, protect me. So I then went and assembled some security guys who had got experience in Africa, who had been ex-special forces, um, British military guys um, that, that we had access to through our security network and brought them in to go and do the first trade. They jumped on the plane, went down to, to Sierra Leone. Um, one of the things I hadn't accounted for is how bad communication was at that time. Um, it was really, really difficult to be able to communicate with the guys on the ground um, and to be able to talk with them and, and find out what had gone on and what was happened. No, uh, that, that, was a, that would be the, the, the thing of myth and fantasy at that stage, to be able to get a WhatsApp down to somebody down there, that would have been amazing. Um, but no, it was really sort of bad communication, but over the period of time that it was there, we managed to get some funds down to them, managed to get the gist that things were moving in the, the di- right direction, um, and they bought some some stones back to the UK, um, and we got them in, and, and after some to toing and throwing a couple of hairy moments where, where i thought i might have a heart attack um the first deal went through and, and we did quite well out of it yeah, it yeah.
1: Was... What, what caused the heart attack you know
0: well i don't <clears> know <throat> if you've ever seen a rough diamond but at this point i hadn't right. <laughs> so, so all i knew was i had a a, a box of, of uh, you know what was alleged to be diamonds that had cost about one hundred and twenty thousand pounds um, and it looked like broken bits of tarmac to me, <laughs> yeah. um, and so I, I, I saw it, they'd sent me the pictures of what they'd actually bought and I'd I, I lost my mind, <laughs> what on earth have you done, um, it wasn't quite that polite, um, and it took someone else to sort of say to me, no, no, listen, that, that's correct, it should look like that, You know, don't think you know, that it comes out looking like you've got it set on your ring, because it doesn't, this is the way, this is the evolution. Um, so you know once once that had gone and i scraped myself back off the ceiling um, and it went through then then trade one went through and and went relatively seamlessly um, and uh, yeah we was all able to take a bit of a, a sigh of relief
1: uh, you covered your costs, split the money, yeah, we'd, deal we'd, done, and we got a bit of a taste for it.
0: Yeah, we'd, we'd, we did all of that and um, I, I remember vividly, you know, the night after it had all taken place, we'd, we'd sorted all the money out and I, I went out for a, a, a night out with friends um, and I had the cash that was left, my share of the cash was left in a, in a bundle in the glove box of my car. Yeah, which we just drove left in the street outside. I had, you know, in, in the region of sort of 35,000 in cash just logged in the glove box because we just went out and we, we just didn't care. You know, that's, that's what we did. Uh, that seemed perfectly normal and acceptable to me at the time. But, uh, yeah, so first deal went well, uh, went as, as we expected it to, um, or as we had hoped it to, it would. Um, and then, you know, at that point, pressure grew to, to do it again.
1: Okay. Uh, pressure from yourself, pressure from external forces, a bit of both.
0: A bit of both, I think, because, you know, as I said, you know, it's very easy to start believing in your own hype and getting caught up with it. And, and, you know, we had gone through the process of putting this trade together.
1: Um,
0: And even now with, with the trading and stuff that I'm still involved with, it's still the thrill of the chase of putting the deal together and doing stuff that, you know, proved that you could do it. In the back of my head, I had my year five geography teacher going, ah, you'll never be more than a road digger. Um, I was well, look at me now with my bundles of cash everywhere. So, so yeah, there, there was always something driving the next one. So, internally, but also externally from, from one or two well-placed phone calls who were going, well, time we got on with the next one then, really, isn't it? So, yeah. uh, so we went again. And, yeah. uh, we, a little we, bit
1: of a higher risk this time, a bit more
0: yeah, investment. We, obviously, yeah, we, we, we had to to, to up it. Um, yeah, we, we wanted to up the ante. We'd done it. And, again, you know, we upped it from from the perspective of wanting to, to see a bigger result. You know, at the end of the day we were young and money driven. You know, our main focus, mm-hmm. my main focus at that time was get the money. I wasn't really too concerned how we got it. It was a question of going, right, that's what we need. Let's get it. Um, so once you've got a business model that in your head works, you know, it's very, you know, short of starting to bring in more people, make it bigger and expanding over time, the only way you're going to make it bigger quickly is throw money at it um and that's what we did so we threw money into the equation we didn't bring in anybody new we kept the size and the, and the scale of the team involved in it the same but now we upped the ante and we sent a lot more money down
1: there yeah See, i mean it sounds simple business logic uh, when you're
0: buying stock
1: if you buy 100 grand's worth of stock you sell it for x amount if you buy 200 grand's worth of stock you're basically doubling your margin and doubling your margin again presumably same sort of
0: Yeah, similar sort of ethos, yeah. But again, it's dependent on what you're buying when you're buying rough diamonds. Um, And we had uh, a guy who was going down with our security guys who was an expert, um, probably about as expert as me, but he was an expert. (laughs) So um, he he was dictating what was getting purchased on the ground and and what was going on. But yeah, each time we we were sending money down there, the first time we sent down about 120,000, yeah, by the time it was all said and done, we probably yielded sort of 60,000 or so off, off the top of it. Um, second time we went down there, we decided that we were going to go go bigger. Um, and, and we called in so, yeah, the, the ring around, the friends, family, whoever else you can get money from. Um, and, and we pulled in about half a million, which went down there this time. Um, and that's easier said than done when you, particularly mm. when you don't have a bank account in Sierra Leone uh, to try and get that down there. So, so you're sort of
1: travelling down there with basically half a million pounds worth of cash.
0: Well, yeah, there, yeah. Was, there was a lot of that. And also because of, again, limits of things like cash you can, you can actually physically carry. Mm. Um, we were also having to avail the services of multiple Western unions and money grams just to physically get the cash into the country. Um, and I've got
1: mental image now of yeah. for Wall through where they're
0: taping the money around their waist. It was it was a bit like that. So, you know, there, there were certain MoneyGrams and certain Western Unions around the sort of the, the West London area that must have just kept wondering why they had like these big queues of goons outside their shops all the time <laughs> turning up with individual packets of four and five thousand pounds to send one after the other. Um, so yeah, it was a little bit of a mission. So but the second time we went down there obviously we had to go bigger to make it worthwhile and because we uh, we were really proving we'd arrived now you know we were the the next big thing so
1: so you're making good money um and then um you just decide you just decided we're going big
0: (laughs) yeah go big or go home um so we'd executed deal two um deal three came along and and what what we didn't realise is that um, after deal one had gone down, um, and 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 we had we had basically we had got into the throes that there were people, you know, many thousands of miles away who were already colluding on what our downfall was going to be. So we executed deal two, which was great. Deal three, well, we're cocky now. I was already cocky. I didn't need much help. So now I'm really cocky because we've done it twice and we've done it with no issues. You know, I've got the best security guys, You know, everything is going swimmingly well. Um, so this time around, we're going to go really big. So again, calls into business people who might want to invest. Friends, these, these aren't family. your bank
1: manager business people. No, these are not your <coughs>
0: typical bank manager business people. And I said, there's, 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 there's something strangely uh, disconcerting about the sort of guy who turns up in your office with 50 grand or 100 grand in a hold or um, and despite all the risks you've explained to him, just puts it on the table, gives it a little pat like you're giving this back to me, whether you like it or not, and then leaves. <laughs> so, so some of those types of business people, uh, friends, family. And then because we, we were greedy and cocky and uh, you know, we decide, right, well, you know, this only takes a week for this to go through. So you know, we've got money that we put aside from the security business for the VAT. We've got money we put aside for, for the payroll, um, but back in a week. So we'll use all of it, and uh, so we we up the ante to get as much money down there as we possibly could.
1: Hey, this is your money at this
0: point. This is not all my money. Unfortunately, it would have made life much easier if I was. So <laughs> so so this is money that we've pulled in from you know my my own businesses, and then also from people around us who have been able to put cash up to enable us to do this, um, and to make sure that we've got enough to go down there and, and get the kind of return that we want.
1: So how much are we talking?
0: Uh, we're up to the million pound mark at this time. So okay. uh, so that's where 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 we were at. Um, and then yeah, we, we go from there. So you know the money is down there, the team are down there.
1: Your Western the you're Western unioning and you're carrying cash. A million carrying. pound worth
0: of cash. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As you do. I mean, that, was, okay. that was fairly normal in those yeah. days for <laughs> all of us. Um, so, yeah, we 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 sent the money down there. We sent the team down there. We sent the guys down there. Um, to go and and buy us our next big payday, um, and to to bring it back home for us.
1: Cool. How'd that go?
0: <laughs> badly. Uh, it went very, very, very badly. Um, what became you know apparent when the guys came back? I, I I was sat in in my office, um, because I'd you know I'd stopped having to to insist on being at all of these meetings when they're having because you know, it was just going to be easy. So I, I was sat in my office. Um, and a phone call came through from the guy who used to run my security for me. Um, and he basically said, you know, are you sitting down? Um, and, and I could tell, you know, this, this was a guy who has been around the world, special forces. There was not much phase, this guy. You know? And he talked to him and he was just a lovely, nice guy, but there was now an edge to his voice that I hadn't heard. And He was just like, are you sitting down? I was like, what's happened? said we've just got into the garden you know we've unsealed the package um and I said okay yeah great you know what's it look like you know what's what's the problem he said well um he said I don't know quite how to tell you this he said but we've got a box full of broken glass I went what do you mean broken glass he went literally broken glass as in some of it's still got Budweiser printed on it And at that point, the world stopped. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely wow.
1: (laughs) And the, I just want to roll back a little bit. So literally you've taken every penny that you had yourself, but you've also borrowed a shit ton of money from, I'm going to stick with your term, business people. Correct. to the tune of like a million
0: quid yeah yeah
1: and you've just bought a few broken Budweiser bottles
0: yeah that's the uh that's the strength of it um and so at that point I I could feel the 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 sweat running down the back of my neck to be honest at that point um yeah the, the girls that were in the office working at the time I just went you just need to get out just go don't care where you go just get out Um, and by the time the second one of those walked out the door I was already being sick in the bin behind it because it was the first time in my cockiness that I had suddenly got the dawning realization of what this actually could mean Um, not only could it mean the end of my business it could actually mean the end of my ability to walk on the face of the planet um, and that suddenly became crashingly apparent to me. So how
1: do you deal with that?
0: Well, it, it's, uh, it, was, it was really difficult because you know, I, I went from having all the friends in the world and all of the allies in the world to suddenly realizing I had nobody. Because you know, we, when we were talking earlier, you used the, the phraseology talking about rats off the sinking ship um and that's what it was you know every, everybody that i knew people i thought were, were close to me people i thought would be supportive um suddenly just ran for the hills literally you know you mm-hmm. couldn't get phone calls wouldn't get answered people wouldn't wouldn't talk to you um and you know some support came from from places i wasn't expecting it to come through um and and people tried to to pass sort of bits of work to me where i could you know earn some money and try and make amends with people um, but one of the things that, that I, I realised at that point is that if I just sat quietly in a corner hoping that this was going to go away, um, is that that might mean I might end up planted quietly in a corner um, and just disappear. Um, so what I had to do was to, again, in with what you know, one of the things that I can do and I do quite well is communicate with people. Um, and one of the things that on on in entrepreneurialism across the board, I talk about is learning how to communicate. Um, and so I had to basically go cap in hand to all the wrong types of people um, and explain how I was going to fix things. Um, and you know, it, it was not a quick process. It wasn't a, you know a, something that I, I can get this sorted out in a week. Uh, this was something that took a long long time uh, and had you know, very real repercussions on my life and how I had to live it and you know there were certain nasty events that, that, that forced me to having to go and, and do different bits and pieces I had to relocate for a little while um, while I was creating that space to be able to make opportunities to be able to redress the balance with people um, so in as much as I had to, to make communication and I had to talk to people, it's very easy when you find yourself under pressure that it can become all-consuming unless you can distance yourself from it. And when you're getting relentless phone calls, people driving past your house at 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning, you know, turning up outside your, your kid's school, that's a difficult position to find yourself in. So you have to create a bit of distance to be able to go away come up with the plan that you can then come back and act on
1: one of the things i saw you speak about is tackling this head on um going to meet somebody to like talk it through uh now we've had a guest here in the past who had a a challenge in his business where literally uh he couldn't pay the bills so he made the phone calls to this now this is on a different level in the sense of this is life um but just to paint a picture in absolute clarity like you know one of those meetings I already talk about was it like effectively in a crib crib it was yeah Uh, so how tell tell us that experience
0: so yeah we 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 basically were going to have a, a meeting with um one of your funders well yeah so some, <laughs> some people that, that that had funds into us I, I i would I would stress with these guys that the, you know they were you know legitimate guys who uh, had put money into to the venture but nonetheless you know when you're you're you know, when you're talking about these types of amounts of money everybody is an issue um and so as we were driving up to to the meeting I was driving up with with um you know one of the guys who was involved in my business at the time and he was saying you know I said to him I said well I think it should be okay. I said, but if the meeting takes less than 10 minutes, we're in dire trouble. Um, you know, if it takes half an hour and onwards, it may be that, that we'll be okay. And he said, so just to clarify, he said, if this meeting takes less than 10 minutes, is it a case that we're driving straight to the airport and leaving? Um, I said, Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty fair assumption. Um, and I had my passport in my in my jacket. So we drove up to uh, to the meeting and we went into the, the building to have the meeting, uh, which was in a converted chapel. Um, and uh, so when I went in, I was met by the young lady. So, oh, yeah, I need to take me downstairs and have a seat and the guys will be down in a minute. Um, and when she took me down and sat me downstairs, it was in the crypt of the building. <laughs> complete with headstones and stuff down down the side of the wall um, and they 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 kept me waiting down there for you know, it was maybe like 2 or 3 minutes but it felt significantly longer when i was sat there um, yeah that was that was quite a concerning time
1: yeah. but the you chose to address each of the funders i'm going to stick keep keep using that term um yeah. in this venture uh and put proposals to, to them on how you were going to get their money back
0: yeah it, it you know it again you know nobody sets out to fail in business you never set out to get it wrong but it's mm. inevitable at some point you will make a mistake there's no such thing as a perfect business um and so yeah you know it had gone wrong um and I've had businesses later that have gone wrong but the main thing being that you know as you you communicate with people. You work. You cooperate. You find ways and means of addressing situations with them, um, and you know the outcome of that. Then generally, is good for all people because it shows a willingness from your side to to honour commitments that you've made, and people that you work with generally want to get their money back. You know, at the end of the day, I, I, I sort of laughingly joke about it, but when you have problems in your business, you know, if you if you owe money to the bank or you owe money to the tax man, things that seem insurmountable at the time you know you have to try and put that in the context that you know these guys are not gonna you know your accountant is not going to turn up round your house at three o'clock in the morning and sit on the end of your bed and threaten to shoot you whereas the guys that I, that that were talking to me might well have done that at some point um so you know it 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 sort of quantifies for me that actually when you sit there and you think things are are bad um and you think things can't get any worse that everybody you're going to meet on your journey will work with you if it means recovering their own interests um and i think that was the big takeaway that i learned is actually that you know no matter how bad you think it is if you can communicate you can make a plan if you can work with people and it's in their interests then it's never as bad as you actually really believe it is.
1: And you you obviously got through that, and um, I dealt with that situation, and you're still here, we're talking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not telling you where I live though. <laughs> uh, so, how did you move forward from from that point?
0: Well, it, from that point, obviously, I, it, it, it was... Um, it was a really great meeting. So the, the, the guys that I met with um, in a very short space of time turned around and said to me, okay, you know, thanks for recognizing the problem. We can see what happened. We can see that, that you know, there's a story here. It wasn't your fault what had happened. So we, we would like to work with you. And we think there's a way that we can utilize you know, the skills that you've got and our business and we will fund some operations for you fund some business and you just come back to us with a plan and let us know what that's going to be. Um, and we will support those endeavors and you can earn money out of it and you can earn money back for us at the same time. Um, and so that then set me off to my, my next sort of journeys and, and, and the, the, the guys that I now find myself in now where I'm, still involved in in trading and commodities albeit not diamonds anymore <laughs> um, but I, I'm still involved in 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 that industry um, and you know various other supporting industries within business and coaching and mentoring so um, it, it, it really was a, a a pivot point for me of that you know when you get as low as you ever can and and when you get to a point where everything that ever mattered to you, has been completely stripped away from you, and I do mean everything. You know, to the point that you know, going for a cup of coffee at the Wimpy would have been a luxury if you could afford it. Um, it, it, it was, uh, it was hard, you know, and, and had to become something where I reinvented into something else, um, completely different, and to, in order to give me a chance to repair past damages and also to build something new for the future. Um, and rekindle relationships that had been damaged by my earlier exploits.
1: Yes. Yeah, so how long did that take to do all that rebuilding?
0: It, that was, as I said, it was not a quick period yeah. of, of time. You know, that That's, that's a, a journey that's evolved over a period of years um, yeah. for that to happen. And to an extent is still happening you know, and, and still moving forward. There are still people that were involved in, in these exploits that, were, were damaged by those exploits, you know, and, 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 and their life was, was damaged as a result of it. So it's still an ongoing process of making amends with people, even today. Um, but it's now in a situation that, that's managed and controllable and, and it's a process of rebuilding for everybody. So I think, you know, the, the main thing, is, as I said to you from my early experiences in business, is about that consistency and showing up and the reliability and being accountable and being there. Um, and so it, it's an ongoing process it's not something that's gone away overnight these are things that are you know still still very real and sit in the background of things that i do today
1: yeah. the whilst we've been chatting um at each point so you've sort of been great in highlighting sort of some of the key sort of what that experience picked up if you was to pull together that whole journey that you've been on and pick up like three key things that have put you in the best stead in, and key takeaways from your whole experience in your life and business. What would they be?
0: I think it's quite difficult to to, to summarise sort of thirty plus years, but I think you know the real takeaways for me. Um, one of the most important things is about who you put round you. Um, you know, we, we've talked about you know the fake friends and the people you know turning up who do half a job around you. Um, one of the things that I've found is you know, I, I am a, a real risk taker, and even to this day, I, I will take risks that most people will think unreasonable. Um, and one of the things that I learned was to put people around me who can complement my skills but will also challenge me and will also go, perhaps we should take a step back here. So I think it's important to carefully select who you have around you. And particularly in a business context, you, know, you don't want loads of people who are the same as you, because they will all be charging at the same cliff you are. And you actually want one of those guys to turn around and go, whoa, just, <laughs> just yeah. stop, guys, before we all go off a bit. So be mindful of who you put around you. Um, I would also say learn and get really comfortable with the word no. Um, no, I'm not going to do it. No, I can't meet the deadline. No, that's not possible for me. As entrepreneurs, it's very easy to find ourselves just constantly going, yeah, of course I will. Of course I will. Yeah, of course. It's your big client. He's on the phone. He wants you to push a boundary to get something back for him on, on time. You, know, you feel compelled to say yes. Um, I would say get comfortable with saying no. Um, and I, I would say that's especially important in protecting your own mental well-being. You know, if you're used to going to the gym at six o'clock in the morning, you don't start work till eight, you don't start agreeing, you're gonna take a client call at seven. You just don't do it. So get really comfortable with saying no. Um, that would be my, my next sort of big takeaway really. Um, and, and lastly, I would say you know, be consistent. Keep consistent, turn up, show up, be accountable, be focused, be persistent. If you've got your ideas, set your plans, set your goals, set your course, stay on it. So what does the future look like for Jeff? Well, hopefully Rosie, Richard, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I've, I've put quite a lot of time and, and hard work into things now, so I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to get some of the cream off the top of the bowl now. Um, so I'm very much now focused on on my other businesses, you know, my commodity trading, um, where I'm hoping to move more into a role of a, a shareholder and move away from the day-to-day work um, so that I can concentrate more on the, the keynote speaking. Um, and delivering messages to business, um, as well as um, sitting alongside and running my online business consulting platform. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to sort of stepping away from the, the hands-on operations of stuff and getting more involved with talking to entrepreneurs, giving a bit of my message, seeing you know if what I can offer can help develop other people um, and perhaps help them avoid some of the. The pitfalls that that I might have strayed down in uh, in the past. I can see
1: a lot of lessons there worth that so many people can pick up from the. Um, you've cut, there's so much that uh, pick up from there. But what uh, what is your real purpose? And to, to quote like the name of the podcast, really, your drive. What drives you to keep going, even when you're at that low and you, everything, you've, everything's. Gone as you said, and you've got people sat at the end of your bed and things like that happening. What, um, well, actually, I can probably imagine what the drive there is fear and object
0: terror. But what,
1: what is your, um, uh, what drives you to continue to want to run your own business and do what you continue to do?
0: I think that, that that's a really cool, Good question and actually quite difficult to answer because you know, there, there are certainly times during that journey where you start going, is this really worth it? You know, is, is, is it worth it, is it worth the sleepless nights, is it worth the stress, is it worth the, the toll it's taken on your family, the relationships, everything else. Um, and sometimes you know, when you sit there at you know, two or three o'clock in the morning, the answer to that question is, is no. Um, but then when you had a chance to, to sit back and, and reflect and, and look at it again, um, I think, you know, the thing that really drives me is that I like to achieve things that people have thought that can't be done. I like to challenge the the ability to get things done. I like to prove new routes of getting things done. And as I said earlier, you know. Sometimes for me, the, the whole thing of business is the thrill of the chase. You know, I enjoy going and getting the deals done. I enjoy that adrenaline of doing something new, of challenging myself. Um, and I think really the thing that, that keeps me on it is that I just love the challenge. I like to be pushed. I like to find myself in, in situations that require me to think, what's the best route for me to get out of this? What's the best way for me to deliver a result? And in more recent years, it's become more about how can I deliver a result that not only benefits me, but benefits people around me and that how can I drive people to also benefit from some of the decisions that I've made. So I think, you know, I started out on my business career. I was about selfish as they came. (laughs) I was very self-serving. I wanted to know what was in it for me. And I think over the years that's changed and it's become more about how can I support people and businesses around me to also grow to enable me to grow. And that's how my, you know, legacy, if you like, is, is where I'm, I'm looking to take people on the journey to elevate them, but at the same time elevate myself.
1: Yeah. Uh, I resonate with that so much. I think so many people, especially if they've been running their own business for quite a few years, their motivations and their drive changes and involves as that person changes and involves. Uh, mine started to provide so much for myself and family. Um, and now exactly with yourself, it's more about how I can elevate those around me, um, less about myself. As long as my mortgage is paid, I'm happy. Yes. It's what uh, what? How, I, how can I bring everybody else up?
0: Yeah, I think it, it, it's the thing is, as, as you go, you know, when you start out, you want all of the trappings, you want the cars, you want the big houses, you want the big bank account, you want the five or six holidays a year. Um, and I think you know, while all of those things are nice to have, and they are nice to have, nobody's going to say, oh, we don't mm-hmm. want a nice car, you know, but they become less important. You get in your car, by the time you've driven it five or six times, it's just a car. it gets yeah. you from A to B. You know, it, it doesn't serve any more purpose than that. And if you can, if you can bring people up around you, that is something that will keep giving because it gives to their family, it gives to their friends, it brings more on. And, and one of the things that you know we, we set out on on the programs that I'm involved with now, part of the marketing is to positively affect the lives of a billion people. And that's positively affect. So that's not about just about money. That's about changing your life experience. And I think that's become more where my focus is going in the business that I'm, I'm now pursuing is levelling people up, bringing them up, supporting them, then to put smiles on people's faces, because at the end of the day, who wants to be miserable?
1: And Jeff, if um, somebody wanted to find out a bit more about the Diamond Geezer and what you can do for them, how do they find that?
0: Uh, well, if they want to uh, have a look, you you will find me on uh, on Facebook just as uh, you know uh, Jeff Smith. You'll, you'll you'll find me on there with a picture of my ugly mug next to it. Um, you'll find me on uh, Instagram Jeff Smith three one six. You'll you'll find me there. Um, and uh, if you want to go and have a look at, at the website to find out a bit more about what we do for businesses, uh, then you can find me on GSFastGrowth.com. Brilliantly,
1: we'll add those links uh into um the spot uh, spotify apple where we listen and watch this podcast so anybody listening or watching you'll be able to see that those links uh in the comments or description for this now it is an amazing story i knew it would be um we were uh jacob and i were absolutely like in awe when we uh, saw you first telling that on stage thank you for sharing
0: Brilliant. thank you for having me it's been really good I really enjoyed it
1: I hope you enjoyed this interview. Uh, Please remember to hit follow on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. It really helps the algorithm and push this podcast up through the rankings. And also leave some feedback. I look forward to bringing you the next episode of Drive. Until next time, this is Drive, the small business podcast from UKBF.